Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome into Inside Carolina Live podcast the day after. It's 8 o'clock Sunday morning. Jason made a great point. It's the same time, but an hour later on the same day when we thought we were supposed to be here. This told Buck before we got uh, going here, Jason, that I was I got up on time because my phone updated correctly. And then I was downstairs getting my coffee and I looked at my oven and it said 758 in a panic. And I started to run up here and jump online right away. <laughs> so it's been that kind of morning already. Carolina. Wins 31-28 in Virginia. Uh, the curse is over. All that good stuff. <laughs> Buck, um, I'll come to you to start with, you know, the way I look at these games at this point, it, it's a win. A win is a win is a win. What you got? Oh, uh, you're right. Completely right. Eight and one. I mean, we get to the end of the show and you ask me how I feel about it, I'm going to say eight and one. Um, and, and it could have actually been uh, 38 to – 28 pretty easily um and I, what was virginia doing there at the end of the ball game come on i mean man, that was garbage yeah it's like basketball games where teams are down by 20 points and they're fouling at the end of the game trying to get what what, what were we doing here um yeah that was garbage anyway uh eight and one they uh mac checked a bunch of boxes um, I think there were some uh, positives out of this game, aside from the getting the dub. Um, we can get into those as we go. Um, I think the thing probably that warmed uh, my heart more than anything else was to see Storm Duck come on and start playing to, uh, as he's capable of playing. That's big. That's huge for North Carolina if he can keep that up. Two games in a row now. Uh, so – that and uh, Drake May again is Drake May doing Drake May things. Uh, Elijah Green getting all the carries uh, was, you know, I complained about it earlier this year when I said, man, they need to narrow down this running back room a little bit. Well, they narrowed it down yesterday for sure. Nobody got a carry but him. And he looked fairly decent doing it. Um, you know, those things, Josh Downs. What are you going to say? You know, uh, Superman wears Josh Downs pajamas at this point. <laughs> um, so uh, those are the kinds of things that uh, I look at. The defense, we would love to see the defense play better. But honestly, Virginia, they their, their offense 
was about the same as it was against anybody, any other conference team they played this year. They scored more points, but yards per play was the same, basically. Um, so move on, get ready to go to Wake Forest and uh, see what happens there. Yeah, certainly some interesting ball games across the country and in the ACC that we can talk about when we get deeper in the show. But, Jason, your overall takeaway here, like Buck said, Josh Downs, and I said Drake was ridiculous last week, and he remains ridiculous, but Josh Downs, good gracious, man. <laughs> Josh Downs re- really needs to, to play uh, Virginia more often. <laughs> last couple of years, he's had a field day with those guys. And, and it's interesting because this year Virginia's – uh, Virginia's secondary has been really good and their defense in general has not given up big plays and has just been really solid. And we saw that for the, mo- for most of the game, but they could not, they just did not have anybody who could handle him. And he, w- the guy lived open and uh, you know, not, a, not a ton of yards after the catch. They, you know, Virginia, I'm really impressed by how well Virginia tackles on the back end. They they tackle and they run to the football and they take great angles and all of that. That man, I, you know, that shows you what you want to do <laughs> on the back end. But they just couldn't cover him, and he was wide open most of the day. And you could see him letting whoever was trying to cover him know after each play. <laughs> you can see you can't cover me. You can't hold me. Uh, you know, up oh, told you what I was going to do. You know, these sorts of things. Uh, definitely, uh, he definitely enjoys playing against Virginia. I did think, by the way, yesterday was interesting because, as you said, games around the country, uh, uh, the, the Alabama-LSU game, first half, it looked like they were trying to take us back to, to 2011. And then this game, first half, looked like they were trying to take us back to 1996. So a lot of, lot of, lot of nostalgia, a lot of history in college football yesterday. But uh, after knocking the cobwebs off a little bit uh, in that first half, the other thing that you really have to like about this win, and this is something that I, I took away from it, is Carolina took a punch yesterday. You know, Virginia came out and they, they punched him. And there were some things that didn't go right in the first half. And Carolina was yesterday not just a fighter that had a big punch that could you know knock you out it was not just first round mike tyson but they took a punch and then just kind of smiled and was like oh okay so it's gonna be that all right it's gonna be that kind of day and then they resettled and said all right well we're not getting big plays we're, we're gonna have to really just execute our way down the field and then they they flipped the switch and they did it and they outboxed them and that I think is a really good sign for where Carolina is just as, as a developing team to be able to win more than one kind of game. And I think that's a, that's a big, a big thing moving forward that they now have the confidence they can win that kind of game. I agree with that. And this is the day after podcast sponsored by Johnny t-shirt and Johnny t-shirt.com here at inside Carolina. I guess I should mention that um, shout out to the couple hundred folks that are in here on a Sunday morning live. If you're not here live, um, you're catching this later in the day. Uh, Buck Sanders, Jason Staples. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley. Buck, uh, let's 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 talk about this Josh Downs phenomena here, and, and I want to sort of couch it with Jason's point. There, um, he caught 15 of 16 targets. He was open. Uh, Drake may, of course, gets them the ball. Uh, 
but Virginia did a good job on every, virtually everybody else. I mean, Drake may still dished it around to what eight, seven other guys, not named Josh down. So Drake did his job, but it, it proves the adage. Um, and it, it brings me back and it's relevant next week to Michael Campanero. You remember that, don't you, Buck? That that discussion when one I said, guy can't beat you. <laughs> I said one guy will not beat North Carolina. It won't That's going to be written on on your tombstone, Buck. <laughs> twelve and zero, twelve and zero, and all that, and and Michael Campanero. A lot of great predictions we've had here. Um, but but Josh Downs was that one guy yesterday. I, I, I tweeted about it. I think they're the best pass catch duo in the country. I don't know who's better at it, but Downs. He, he's a little guy, but he plays as big as you can be on the field, just perspective-wise. Let's talk about that just briefly. Perspective-wise, he's as good as anybody I've seen at Carolina. Yeah, I mean, you could toss out some names like uh, Hakeem Nix, who'd probably be the, the guy you would talk about. Dwight Jones had a great college career. What happened to him after that, who knows? But um, the downs, it, he's fast. That helps. Right. Uh, but more than that, he has such a great change of direction in, in the short field. I mean, he can just change on a dime. And it's very tough because in that short field, um, if, they, if they've got him a man-to-man on him, he's going to leave that guy at some point. You just got to watch for when it's going to be. He, he's going to get away from that guy. Uh, if it's zone, he's just going to sit down. He's going to get into zone, sit down, and he's going to be open again. So he, he virtually has the opportunity to get open uh, because of his quickness and uh, ability to change directions that most receivers do not have. That kind of body control is just special. And uh, so – uh, you you can put put up all kinds of names if you want to uh, for North Carolina in terms of receivers, but Downs is, is that guy. He's he's a career uh, generational talent at wideout, um, and and North Carolina's going to have to replace that guy next year. I'm not looking forward to it because that's a heck of a security blanket knowing you've got <laughs> one guy that's going to get open. Yeah, Jason, yeah. he he's got the physical ability. But he, it's it's the added layer of he just knows how to play the game, right? He knows how to do things that guys with equal physical talent can't do. And like somebody posted Ray Ram in the chat, he catches everything that's around him. Yes, yeah, a, a lot of what you see with him is, and and by the way, Buck, it's not just the 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 change of direction; it's the change of speed. Uh, that's the other thing that makes him so so difficult to defend is is the and getting to what you're talking about, Tommy. It's the ability, not just the ability, but the the feel for how to change speed, how to set a guy up, and then all of a sudden burst at the right moment to create space. That shows that you know he's he's not just going out there and running the steps on the route, right? He's going out there and he understands how to set a guy up in the confines of the route. And so, you know, the best way to think about him in that respect is you think about these, you know, the best one-on-one point guards who 
can handle the ball like you know and and you get them with a defender and they just know how to set that guy up and he's going this way and you think he's going full speed and then all of a sudden stop and then he's going full speed and all of a sudden he's by a guy and and the crossover dribble type type players you know you think of a an Allen Iverson or uh, a Kyrie Irving or uh, you know that kind of of uh, ball handler to be able to to put guys in a blender based on change of speed understanding of oh I'm going to get you moving this way and then I'm going to burst it's that stuff that uh, that that sets him apart and it's the and it's the feel for how to do it. And then as you talked about it, there, he also, you can see he takes great joy <laughs> in the process of, uh, you know, again, he's like one of those and one type guys who really takes joy in the process of not just beating a guy, but humiliating, humiliating him one-on-one and saying, you know, you, you can't guard me, you can't cover me. And, uh, you know, to me, the, the comps for him, and I do think he probably is the best receiver in Carolina history, uh, the comps for me are, are people like a, a Julian Edelman, a guy, so, you know, those guys who you, you watch in the NFL and they have 10 year careers in the slot and they just give NFL defenses absolute fits because you give them a two way go, you give them an option route or something. And the combination of feel and, and uh, intelligence and burst I mean that guy's just never covered. Uh, so, you know, you look at an Edelman, you look at uh, actually a Hunter Renfro type guy. I mean, Hunter Renfro was a pain in the butt for everybody who covered him when he was at Clemson. And he was that security blanket for uh, Deshaun Watson and those guys. And then you'd think you look at Hunter Renfro, you just look at him and it's hilarious. Actually, if you can go, you can go and Google this, you can go and, and, and search this. You see a picture of Clemson's wide receiver group out at like a pool or, or a, it was like a lake day or something. And it's like him with a bunch of guys that look like they look like NFL players. And then it's Hunter Renfro who looks like he's like the PE teacher from the middle school down the road. And if you look at that, if you look at that list of receivers, you know, who's had the best NFL career of those guys might be Hunter Renfro. So uh, I think T Higgins might've been on that. I'm trying to remember who else was in there, but he's had a really good NFL career because it's not just about the traits. And the thing is, he had that that acceleration, that that quickness, but it's the feel for that. And then Josh Downs has that plus another gear that a Renfro just never had and, and never could have. So and that's the thing that, uh, that and actually I see Money Mark uh, in, the, in the chat makes a, another good comp, very similar to an Antonio Brown. Right. Brown, a little bit more muscled up, but you know, similar kind of stature and what made Brown so hard to cover was just how slippery, how good a feel he had. And then just the acceleration and the speed changes. And that's what Josh Downs brings to the table. And it's really fun to watch. It is. And then you've got a quarterback that can put it on him wherever he is, given all the the speed changes, all the twitchy movement and all that stuff. And Drake may still hit some in stride left and right. Uh, uh, Buck, let's go ahead and get the this portion of the show out of the way early, <laughs> <laughs> and we can talk about this. Was it was it Drake's worst game? Was that the freshman game against Virginia, um, or was it earlier in the season? 
And that being said, you still, I, th- I think, what was it, five straight 300-yard games, so he th- falls seven yards short on that. But 26 of 37, 293, and a couple touchdowns. I mean, come on, man. Uh, uh, you know, Mac Brown, if this season wraps up like we think it possibly could, I'm not convinced yet, but Mac Brown needs to be the one building Drake May statue out front of the arena. I mean, it's just amazing what this kid's been able to do. Yeah, it really is, Tom. And, um, you know, I think maybe one of my uh, favorite plays of his this entire year uh, is when he reversed field on Virginia for that touchdown. Uh, and you you could tell just as soon as he changed direction and, and was starting to go the other way, he's going to score. You knew immediately he was going to get by those guys and, and have a touchdown. He He's another guy we talked about downs in a different way, different position. Uh, just has such tremendous instincts for the game. Um, it, it's hard to describe. You, you can only – it's like um, Supreme Court Justice said about porn. You know it when you see it. Uh, <laughs> Potter Stewart. (laughs) And so, and and he's got it. I mean, he has just got that feel for the game, the instinct for the game, um, the ability to zig when you zag. uh, He has those things. And it's just amazing to watch. And uh, I just encourage everybody to savor every minute of it that they can because he's special, a special guy. And to have the, the duo of May and Downs together on the field at the same time uh, is just unreal to watch. Jason, looking at the game, I thought Virginia did some things, um, hit him a little bit. I think on one of those early run plays, he took a shot at the, in his head. He was pointing at his noggin um, that I think was really not talked about at all. And maybe it was just my imagination, but Virginia has good corners. Virginia has um, a good defense. And it didn't ever seem to be a threatening situation to May as far as getting him into terribly much trouble. What did you see from May from your vantage point, your your scouting vantage point? I mean, the numbers would have been a lot bigger without at least two, maybe three jobs. Um, what did you see? Yeah, one one thing I want to highlight before that. Yesterday, Bryce Young, Hendon Hooker, and C.J. Stroud combined for 53% completion percentage, 5.4 yards per attempt, uh, one total passing touchdown, and two interceptions. They were all terrible. So this was not the day to be a a Heisman caliber, Heisman uh, 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 candidate quarterback, unless, of course, you're Drake May and you have your off game, and (laughs) it looks like that. So I want to preface it with that first. Uh, is, you know, he did not have the, the, the flashy numbers as much yesterday as he has the rest of the year. But one of the, one of the tests, if, if, you're a, if you're an NFL scout, one of the things you want to see is how does a quarterback play when it gets muddy? You know, can he be a mutter? Is he capable of, of you know, having, of, of having success when – some of those big plays aren't available when you're throwing where guys are more covered when you've got a little pressure, 
you know, those sorts of things. So I think Drake may yesterday showed in spades that he can, again, I think he's proven this a couple times this year, but he proved he can handle that. Uh, And you think about it, you're, you're right. I mean, the one really uncharacteristic drop by Antoine green changed the game. I mean, he, that, that guy has been really consistent catching the football. He had to stretch just a little bit for that, but that's one that, you know, he, he's going to come down with 95 times out of a hundred, if not more. And, you know, that, that, that changes the game pretty significantly. Um, and I think, I think again, what I, what I saw is a guy that, that recognized, okay, so this is what they're doing. They're playing over the top. They're bringing pressure from a couple different spots. I'm going to notice I'm just going to, I'm going to start keeping, uh, I'm, I'm going to start being willing to, to take the shorter stuff, the, the not sexy stuff more quickly and just let my guys do their thing. I think that's, that's been the thing. And, and, uh, that's where, again, you've got a chance in every game when that guy plays because if you bring pressure and you play over the top and you and you combine, then this is what Virginia did. They played over the top, tried to prevent the the big plays while also getting pressure. He just cut them to ribbons underneath. And it's the precision and the ability to get the ball out quickly. And then when there's nobody there quickly, because there are a number of times there, there the guys were covered right away, he was able to to create with his feet and and to uh, slide and and potentially throw guys open. And then in other cases, as you mentioned, Buck, that uh, when he, when he's in New York at the end of the year, that's going to be one of those plays that's shown early on that highlight package, or it might be the one that, that ends it uh, in terms of the highlight package that they show in the, in, in the, uh, in the ceremony on television. So, you know, I, I saw a lot of things, you know, I was asked uh, by, you know, a, a more national podcast this last week, if, you know, you take eligibility out of this, is Drake May the number one choice in the NFL draft this year? And I said, absolutely. I think he'd be. The, I think he would be the number one draft pick in the NFL coming out this year. And I, we saw another day. That's that's why. Yeah, he's definitely the no. If if the trajectory continues, somebody asked, "Will he stay three years?" Well, next year is his third year, um, and we'll be talking about him, I guess, in April of the twenty twenty four NFL draft. Um, what's interesting to me or however you want to put it, um, he, he, he doesn't seem like he's running hard, but nobody seems to catch him. And and on that reverse field, he's just like, I guess it's sort of graceful, like a, you know, like some sort of gazelle or long, long legged animal that he's just jogging. Nobody gets him. And, and, uh, he just sort of eases in and then he's, he's finally perfected the pop-up slide, you know? No question. I think he said it in the postgame. He dives on that one play down there where he runs out of bounds at the two-yard line um, three weeks ago. And Longo talked about the mental aspect of the game and how he's improving on that. I think that's an aspect of it. Um, Day after podcast, it's about 8.22. We got to talk about the offense, though, Um, and the end of the game. But that was – Phil Longo has been excellent all year and for most of his time at North Carolina, but the end of the game there, I mean, that was as Carolina as it gets up in Virginia, right? Just let's see if we can keep Virginia in this just a little bit longer. 
And what do you think about those those end game scenarios, the onside kick um, issue? The it was just like this is this is so unnecessary. Well, all that being true, um, the thing that and Max spoke to this in his press conference that uh, they got to do a better job of communicating to their uh, onside kick team when to score a touchdown and when not to. Because Bryson Nesbitt, he went and scored the touchdown and gave App a chance to get back in the game. Um, and uh, Twan, if he'd have scored there, there's no way Virginia could have could have caught North Carolina. So in both cases, the decision that they made, and they were you know, conscious, intentional decisions, were the wrong ones. So whoever's uh, supervising that onside kick team, they're doing a good job of getting the ball. They just need to do a better job of explaining to them what they need to do once they recover. Um, and and you, you have a point, but, you know, at the end of the game, uh, as I said earlier, North Carolina could have easily gone up. I mean, Virginia was almost marching them into the end zone there at the end of the game. I mean, uh, we were getting ready to find out what it's like to split infinity, um, you know, half at a time down there in the end zone. Uh, so they, they could have easily just marched in from there. I have no, I, no, uh, doubt that they could have handed the ball to Elijah green three times and gotten in the end zone. So, uh, but they weren't trying to play it that way. They were trying to play it like, let's get the win, get the heck out of here. Let's be conservative and cautious. You can do that. Uh, I prefer to be a little bit more aggressive than that, but and I just hope it doesn't come back to bite them at some point important uh, from here on out. Um, the big thing that saved them, I think, in this game was after a really horrid offensive first half, Virginia outgained them running and throwing the ball just about in the in the first half. The uh, uh, I think they uh, had them uh, 243 yards for uh, Virginia and 195 for North Carolina. Um, and North Carolina in that first half went two of five on first down plays. Um, but after that, um, in the third quarter, they went four for four on third down. I don't know what Longo said to them at halftime or – or who said what, but they were a different offensive ball team when they came out in the third quarter. So they did enough offensively. Um, you hate to see them. I hate to see them get that conservative uh, at the end of a game. Sure, you, you want to be cautious, but not overly so, and I think they were overly so in this game. Yeah, Jason, that's what we're really there. I think the defense got three straight stops. Um, Carolina's up 10. They had at least two positions up possessions up 10. That That is – where I was really going there, I will say this. If I was the offensive coordinator at the very end and Virginia kept doing that stuff, diving on the ball and hitting my quarterback, we're scoring. Uh, we're going to stick it in and then wave goodbye when we leave. But talking about during the fourth quarter, Jason, your thoughts on sort of the, the conservative play call. And I, I, this offense, at least at this point, it, with the, what they have right now, is not really built to do anything but run. What did you think about the, the last half of the fourth quarter, I guess, when Carolina had a chance to salt it away, just couldn't do it? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I agree they did get a little bit overprotective there in terms of not putting themselves... In, you know, you hear people say this as a as a real negative that, you know, you don't ever want to play not to lose. But that that's really what they were doing there is they were uh, taking the approach of... They're very much playing the numbers. There's a very much paint by the numbers fourth quarter uh, or second half of the fourth quarter where it's... Look, as long as we do this, we're giving, you know, we're bleeding clock, we're doing this. And, and, and as long as we have the, have the football, we're going to, we're, you know, every second that goes by, we're, we're less and less likely to let them back in it. Uh, I will say this I'm of the view that in a rivalry game, if you're inside the opponent's five or 10 yard line in that kind of situation, you run the dang ball and, and you take the touchdown if you can get it. You always, First of all, and I know coaches, first of all, I know coaches say they don't know the spread. Uh, and I know coaches in general don't and shouldn't care about the spread. But again, but in a rivalry game <laughs> against in this kind of context, you kind of, you, you know, you have your your guy there like, you know, we score here, we cover. Our, our alumni are going to be that much happier. And you think about it for a second. And you just tell your, your your backs, ball security, ball security, ball security, everything's there. You, you maybe, maybe even call timeout for that. But I'm in the view, I'm of the view that if you can, if you can put an extra score on your rival, you do it. Uh, so my just my wiring is a little different on that. Uh, but I understand the opportunity uh, to just put the game away and say, a win is a win is a win is a win, especially in Charlottesville. And uh, so I, I get that. I, I think that there are a couple things that you could most criticize in this. One is the funny thing. I think Mac was right that uh, Antoine Green should have scored on that on that uh, onside kick because there were two still two minutes left. Uh, it was debatable. I, I think it was more debatable than the Nesbitt one earlier in the year where he definitely shouldn't have scored. Uh, and you can tell they talked about that as a team after that. And then Green did what he was coached to do, but they didn't tell him like, okay, this time if you get it. Um, so that would have changed things a little bit. But the other thing is, I think that fourth down play where they called the the, the way the, the call that they had there, the run call to take the ball out of out of Drake May's hand there in a game where they'd actually done a pretty good job on short yardage against Carolina in the running game. I, I didn't like the call on fourth and three. And I think you could you could probably if, if there's one thing you're going to that i'm going to critique the most and sort of uh not uh after the fact criticize but criticize in something that i would have done before the fact differently it's you've had a lot of success on fourth down all year by putting the ball in drake may's hands and letting josh downs do his thing and all of that and i think that a little bit more aggression there on fourth fourth down probably changes that game it was interesting. Downs jumped up and down. He wasn't pleased. Um, but, hey, Carolina got out of there with a win, did enough on offense to get a win. It's the day after podcast. It's 8.30 on the East Coast. Shout out to the 400 folks that are in here watching. The faithful, we much appreciate you guys joining us. We're going to talk about Johnny T-Shirt, johnnytshirt.com. They're sponsors. And of the 400 in here, if you all are premium subscribers on Inside Carolina, you can all get a lot of money back with that <clears throat> discount that Johnny T-Shirt offers to premium subscribers. Get your jerseys. Basketball season starts Monday. They got plenty of that NAL basketball stuff. 
Uh, take care of them on East Franklin Street or at, online at johnnytshirt.com. Uh, they support us. Uh, they're part of the reason we can do all this stuff for you guys. So take care of them. We'll take care of y'all. National guys will pay the bills. We'll be back the day after Virginia edition. Buck Sanders, Jason Staples. I'm Tommy Ashley. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing. However you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24/7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast i'm sandra and i'm just the professional your small business was looking for but you didn't hire me because you didn't use linkedin jobs linkedin has professionals you can't find anywhere else including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role like me in a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. All right, boys, let's talk about the defense here on the day after podcast. Uh, it's Jason Staples, Buck Sanders, Tommy Ashley, and I said Johnny T-shirt earlier, Buck. Do we have to? Yeah, we got to. It is a, it's a thing. And Greg Barnes has thrown out some uh, stats that says the defense, you know, might might look like it's doing better, um, but it's not really. Uh, one thing, Buck, that I I saw early, and I thought Mac might blow an artery, is they came out. I don't know what it was, but they came out not ready to play uh, against Virginia. Virginia has their three wide receivers out which I don't think that's a huge deal unless one of them was named Josh Downs. Um, but, Buck, your take overall on this defensive side of the ball, I mean, they did enough to win. They got some important stops, got a turnover that was relevant. We talked about Storm Duck. I think we got to start absolutely with said Gray, right? Yeah, uh, Gray has had a, had a game yesterday, no question. Uh, and now he's surged back into the lead in the ACC as uh, – with the most tackles. I think he passed Virginia's Nick Jackson in this game. Um, and, and he has been a treasure. I mean, not one of North Carolina's most highly recruited guys, but a guy that has really, um, played super well. He does everything right. Not only does he get the tackles that you're looking for, but he also makes big plays, comes up with big plays. Uh, so he's consistent and reliable and also a difference maker. 
um, in the big play department. So what a, uh, a find they got in said gray, um, when they picked him up, I think it was out of the Charlotte area, was he, I think maybe, um, anyway, he, he's just playing his butt off for North Carolina. If he could get everybody else to play that way, um, they'd have a heck of a team. Jason, what did you think about the defensive front? Uh, we talked on the game plan to force Virginia to run the ball. Um, they didn't – I didn't see much of a – at least in the first half. Now, that did change. Um, and Gray talked about that, and I have a question about adjustments for you in just a second. But what did you think about how the defensive front was able to do um, – it felt like they were still trying to mix and match guys to, to, to make up for the losses that they had. What did you see? Yeah, I think that's accurate. I think there were I think they they had more trouble in this one, especially getting penetration and, and generating uh pressure than than I thought they would coming in. Um I, I think you could definitely see where the losses of Taylor and Evans impacted them on the edge. And that's really where Virginia had a lot of their success was on the edge in this game. Uh, especially running the quarterback on the edge. And, and I think that's something we, we have to consider in this is a lot of what Virginia did in this game. I mean, they didn't just, you know, line up and run it down, run it down Carolina's throat in terms of, you know, line up and run the, run the running backs. I mean, they did have, I mean, Holland's had 4.7 yards per carry on 16 carries. I mean, that's pretty good. And that's not what you want as a defensive front, but, really where they, they had the most success was Brendan Armstrong, 5.3 yards per carry on 12 carries. I mean, he had, he had 64 yards rushing. And a lot of that was, you know, the read game, these sorts of things, and, and putting a lot of, of stress and pressure on the edge. And, you know, the, the guys that, that Carolina's had on the edge who can set the edge against the run and have length and, and quickness going sideways – the two guys that they can put on the field that have the most of that were both gone in this game and they're gone for the rest of the season. And I think you could see that uh, more than anything. And uh, when Virginia did have success running the football, it was mostly outside zone in terms of when they were running the football with their, with their backs. And this is where, you know, a really big defensive line and Carolina's big inside, they made Carolina's defensive line have to go sideways and, do so with really good gap integrity. And that's where some seams opened up. And so this is something that, that I think Carolina has significantly improved on the season. And you could still see some of that improvement in this game when teams run straight at them. I think their defensive line has gotten better there. I think they've handled things better in terms of triggering downhill. Uh, and you've seen the success in the last few weeks against in short yardage situations where teams are coming straight, straight downhill at you. They've had success there. Now they've got to get better handling that outside zone. And when they when they when they're asked to move laterally and do so with really good gap integrity, uh, that's something that I think. I mean, if I were if I were coaching against them next week, I'd run a ton of outside zone and some of the things off of that, just based on what I saw in this game. And um, and the thing is, you know, Pitt ran, ran a lot of outside zone too, and they did better on it. But that's something they're going to have to continue to go back and and make sure that they polish up in terms of. Uh, some of those big guys being able to maintain power and gap integrity against that kind of 
you know, quick flow to the outside so they don't allow cutbacks and all that. Yeah, I mean, it was it was maddening. It was interesting. If folks haven't listened to Cedric Gray's post game, go listen to it. He talks about what they corrected there um, and how they were able to get some uh, get some success in the second half that slowed Virginia's uh, rushing attack down a little bit. And shout out to the state fan that's in the YouTube chat. I mean, that is some dedication to be on the Inside Carolina podcast um, at 8.37 on Sunday morning after um, the team you pull for won a big game last night. But, hey, we were all welcoming here. Buck, you mentioned Storm Duck earlier. Um, let's talk about him a little bit because I think he deserves it. He, he – I asked Chiswick. Chiswick said it was good for him. It's good for this defense to have a corner. That that play where he was covering his guy and broke up somebody else's guy's pass. I mean, <laughs> that was elite. That's elite defensive back play there. That was uh, he's come around and it's it's health and confidence. But what does he mean back there um, for this group? That that like Jason said is is trying to figure out the edges on the defensive front, now you can get some coverage back there and maybe help out a little bit because Sam Hartman, as bad as he looked in the last couple weeks, he ain't going to look that bad next week in in Wake Forest. But what would you think from the back end, Buck? I thought uh, North Carolina did a a fairly adequate job in the back end overall, but Storm Duck's play was certainly a highlight of that defensive back play. Um, He he has really come on and – Mac Brown described it as he's finally trusting his ability to plant um, a foot and and change direction and so on. Uh, he's able to trust that now, whereas earlier he's not. And there's a we all know there's a mental aspect to injuries that even when you're physically able to do things mentally, sometimes you don't trust yourself to be able to do that. You're concerned you're going to re-injure yourself. So I think Duck has maybe crossed that hurdle. Um, and it is, uh, he's got, by my count, and we'll talk about this at some point, five games left to play, um, counting the ACC championship game. They got to just win one more game and they're in. Um, so out of the last three. If he continues to progress the way he has the last two weeks over the course of this next five games, uh, I think he is going to uh, make himself some money at the next level. Um, Somebody's going to give him a shot uh, based on how he performs against the rest of the UNC schedule. So there's there's that to take in consideration. Yeah, I mean, he's good for him. He stayed healthy. He's We banged on him a lot on these shows and as has the fan base and everybody else. And he stepped up and make some plays. Uh, clearly Carolina has got to be better next week against Wake Forest on, on defense. Um, Gene Chiswick's got a week to figure it out. Like I said earlier, Wake has not looked good in the last two weeks and they haven't looked good because of the, the uh, getting pressure on Hartman. He just doesn't look like the same guy, but Jason, let me ask you a question. I was thinking about during the game and this happened now, I guess five games in a row. Carolina's better in the second half on defense than they are in the first half. I understand adjustments. I understand what, how that works. But it seems like in the first half of these games, I mean, are teams doing 
something different than they've done all year. So Carolina hasn't really prepared. I said Gray mentioned uh, Virginia went some tempo in the first half, and they weren't prepared for that. I mean, when you're preparing for a team, how difficult is it to get it right in the first half? Well, it depends. So this is something that I talked about a few years ago and, you know, some folks got kind of offended when I said uh, after North Carolina gave me, should have beaten Clemson a few years ago, if you remember. Uh, And I commented that basically Clemson came into that game and, and ran their vanilla stuff. It's what they, they just ran what they ran. And it wasn't until the second half that they kind of went, Oh, wow, we got to, we got to do some things here to, to, to take care of business, but they did not treat that as a, as a big game. It was, it was Clemson's standard game plan as opposed to their big game game plan. And folks took that as my, as, as insulting the Carolina program. But the, the, the thing is, and we talked about this for years on this podcast, coaches, there's only so much you can do. You only get these guys for 20 hours a week. And, so you have to kind of, as much as coaches say, well, you treat everybody the same, you don't. And what you have to do is you have to figure out who the teams on your schedule are that you're going to circle and say, I'm going to bring a few extra wrinkles into this game. Make sure that I got a couple things ready to go. And one of the hardest things to, to handle as a coach is when you become the hunted when you become the team that other teams circle on their schedule and it's not just the rivalry games that are circling you, but everybody does, then you're having to face a different team every week than the team that you see on your schedule. So if you're Alabama, Alabama gets everybody's best shot because that's a, that's a, that's a signature win for, for a coach that year. And so you're going to see teams come out with formation stuff with, you know, concepts and all that, that they've had in their back pocket all year. And then they're going to break that out in the first three drives against Alabama. And Bama's going to be scrambling on the sideline to try to, you know, adjust to whatever, whatever, whatever is there. And that makes it really hard. If you're the, if you're the hunted, the thing is Carolina against the Virginia, 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 I guarantee you circles the Carolina game, right? This was, this was a big game for Virginia. Virginia coming into the year, they're going to circle the North Carolina game. They're going to circle the Virginia Tech game. And that those are the two first two games they're going to circle on their, on their schedule. So what they did is they came in and they came in and they showed some formation stuff I hadn't really seen from them. And they came in with some tempo stuff that they'd not done all year. I mean, I haven't watched everything that, that Virginia did, but they did stuff in the first half I had not seen them do. And in particular, what's interesting is they did some things offensively in terms of concepts that were similar to some of the things that gave Carolina trouble last year against them. Running some of the, you know, bunch type stuff with, with, you know, some, uh, some shorter tempo type throws for, for, uh, for Armstrong to hit some of that stuff that gave Carolina trouble and doing that off of tempo. And, it took Carolina a little bit of time to get dialed in to go, okay, okay. So this is what they're doing today. All right. And the thing is, once you figure that out, I mean, I remember being in the, uh, in the press box for the NC state, Florida state game a few years back, this was 2014 and NC state went up against, went up on them uh, by two or three scores in the first half. 
And my comment to the media member next to me was, okay, well, you know, NC State's now out of their open out of their opening script. We'll see what happens now that we're now that we're playing real football the rest of the way. I'm I'm betting this this one comes back. And from that point forward, Florida State just absolutely put it on them because there was a better Florida State team than NC State. But NC State came in and that was a kitchen sink game for them. They threw everything they had in in those three drives and they ran stuff that I hadn't seen NC State run in like four years. And then when it started getting to, you know, you're having to run base football. Well, the, the talent ended up doing all this. What I saw from Carolina yesterday was Carolina played a standard football game against Virginia. Virginia came in and threw what they had at Carolina. So Carolina came in as the hunted in this game. And that's the, that's the thing that, that, uh, that I think makes this hard. So yeah, Virginia did stuff they sh- that they had not really shown this year. And that's what Carolina, the more Carol next year, after, after what we've seen this year, if Carolina does finish out the year, let's, let's imagine for, for the sake of argument that Carolina wins out in the regular season and then pulls an upset, which I'm not sure would be a huge upset at this point in the ACC championship game goes 12 and one and goes to the, goes to the college football playoff. I can guarantee you every team on Carolina's schedule next year is going to have that game circled. That means you're going to have to be doing extra work to see what, what wrinkles has this coach done when he's had these opportunity, when he's had a kitchen sink game over the last five years, and you're going to have to do extra prep during the off season, during the week. And then you've got to make sure your guys are prepared to see that. That makes it hard. Like I said, I think Virginia came in and, through those first three or four drives, they threw stuff at Carolina that they hadn't shown that much. And it took some time to get dialed in to adjust to that. And again, it's not as simple as like, Oh, this is a new play. Like when you're playing defense, you have to respond quickly to what you're seeing. So it's a matter of like, Oh, you got to adjust to, uh, okay. So they're, they're reading this guy. Now this guy has to play it this way. And then you start to, you start to make that adjustment and then you can do it quickly. Once you've seen it a couple of times, it's sort of like uh, in baseball, you see a pitcher once through the order, see a pitcher the second time through the order. And then the third time through the order, guys start really getting, <laughs> getting their bat on the ball. And it's not just because the pitcher's getting tired. It's because you've just seen his stuff. And that's, that's kind of what happens in these games. And Carolina made the adjustments on defense and it's not just scheme adjustments. It's, getting used to that from the player's perspective to be able to adjust and, and respond and react quickly. Yeah, you brought it there. And that's a great point. Helps me understand it for sure. And I love the baseball references. I always love that stuff. That's why pro pitchers never throw complete games anymore um, because guys learn in a hurry. But let's wrap this one up. Spend the day after. Shout out to the almost 500 folks that have been here on the live version. Uh, Carolina and Wake Forest. Uh, it's a big game. Wake Forest has dropped two straight. I understand that. But North Carolina's eight and one. They can clinch the coastal for good. Somebody asked, why is Clemson already clinched the Atlantic, but Carolina has not? It's because Clemson's beaten everybody that has a chance to tie them. Carolina hasn't done that yet. Um, so you got to get one more. But what, what's your thoughts this week going or heading into Winston Salem at 7:30 on Saturday night? Well, if uh if North Carolina uh, ends up beating Wake Forest, it will ruin your perfect record in predicting ball games this year. Because <laughs> at the beginning of the year, you picked Wake Forest to beat North Carolina. I think like everybody else did. 
Oh. If I were a betting person, I would yeah. care about that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got you. And, and and I would my record, which is already ruined, uh, would get worse if uh, North Carolina were to beat Wake Forest, which I would rejoice about. But uh, you know, this is going to be an interesting uh, game uh, in a lot of ways because it's sort of going to uh, provide a preview of coming attractions, right? Because they're going to play uh, the NC State, who has a decent defense. An improving offense, NC State's gotten these days, uh, with the the new kid Morris at quarterback, um, and so they've got Wake with a pretty good defense, State with a good defense, um, and if they get to Charlotte, which looks like now they're sure to do, they're going to play another really good defense in Clemson. So not only is this game important of itself because they can they can close it out and and win the conference by beating Wake Forest. But it's also gives them the template for what's coming the rest of the year. Georgia Tech, that's a game they should win. They should have won it last year, though, and we're, look where we were. So, um, and I, I, I think we also need to give uh, Jason's other team, Florida State, a little shout out for taking Miami out of the equation yesterday uh, and uh, dropping them from uh, any consideration that. I, I doubt they would have managed anyway. They still got Clemson to go, I think. Um, so North Carolina has positioned itself perfectly uh, to close out this season. They just need to have uh, the steel to do it uh, over these next three games. That's my take. Uh, let's uh, we're gonna wrap up this portion. Let's talk about ACC in general. Uh, I'll freely admit, Jason, I didn't watch a second of Florida State Miami. I was watching baseball, Alabama, LSU. Um, what else? State and Wake. There was a lot of good programming on at the same time last night. Know, it was a good really. night for multiple screens. This is when I need to be in Don Callahan's man cave with four different TVs. But is Cristobal on the hot seat in Miami? I mean, good. it's one thing to struggle in your first season. It's another thing to get blasted by your most hated rivalry. At what home. At home. Well, you did call it Doke South. But the ACC in general, people talk about, um, you know, Clemson and Wake and all these teams and Notre Dame just ridiculous. Just Notre Dame owns the ACC. Um, but Florida State, are they the best team in the conference? Unbiased, which I know you can't be. Well, you know, depends on which Florida State. So the interesting thing is Florida State, the, the team that played last night is the same team personnel wise that played against LSU. And it's really the first that they've been at that strength. Uh, they, they, they didn't, they were down one of the running backs that played against LSU, but uh, coming into the season, they had really three players on that defense that were indispensable. You just couldn't lose. You could argue for four, but uh, probably the most important player on that defense, you'd argue was Fabian Lovett. They're, they're, you know, defensive tackle who sets the table for them on the inside and really makes them very different. Uh, and their backup defensive tackles are, are decent backups, but they're not, in, they're, they're more vulnerable. Well, Lovett got hurt on the final drive against LSU and didn't play until getting some time against Georgia Tech last week. And one of the things that's really evident is they are completely different defensively with him on the field. And, uh, 
you know, that's a team that with him on the field, they shut LSU down pretty good. Without him, I think LSU probably wins that game by two, two three scores. It's that big of a difference defensively. So the, the Florida State team that played Wake Forest, that re- actually outgained Wake Forest on a per-play basis by a healthy amount, uh, they outgained actually Clemson on a per-play basis. They outgained NC State by a per-play basis. And they lost all three of those games, partly because those teams were able to run the football in key spots. And with Lovett on the field, they probably don't. And uh, so I think with Lovett on the field, the the two best teams in the ACC might right now be North Carolina and Florida State. Uh, if Florida State had had Lovett all year, I think that would probably be the ACC championship matchup. Here's the thing, if I can jump in, Jason. On the year, their body of work, Florida State is number one in the ACC in offensive yards per play. On the year, their body of work, they're number one in the ACC in defensive points of uh, yards per play. Uh, so they're number one in both categories in their entire body of work on the year. So if you were looking for, after what we saw yesterday, uh, Notre Dame and Clemson, Florida State's got a really good argument for being overall, based on their entire body of work, uh, the best team in the ACC. And, you know, that's, that's been a long road for uh, – uh, Florida State to, to get back to, to where they are. And uh, so. Uh, yeah, the big the big issue for them is that they've not had the same. Uh, they've had some situational hiccups at different points that have really bitten them. Uh, they've they've uh, blown some opportunities in the in the red zone that if they score on them, they win against NC State and Wake Forest. Uh, they lost a couple one on one matchups against Wake on third down and a couple, you know, gave up a couple touchdowns where guys in perfect position and, you know, an NFL receiver just mossed him, you know, that's, that happens. And so they, 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 they have been really good on a per play basis, but situationally Clemson in the, uh, the middle eight, as they call, and we've talked about that concept on this program before where, you know, the last four minutes of the first half, first four minutes of the second half Clemson beat Florida state on the strength of, I think it was uh, 20 to three in the middle eight and then Florida state dominated the rest of that game, but it was a seven minute stretch where, where Clemson scored almost their, their entire output. And that's been the issue for them. The other thing is that if you put Drake may on this Florida state team, that's probably a national championship team. If with, with Fabian, Fabian love it healthy. If he brought downs with him. Well, yeah, but I mean, they got some good receivers this year, but you put Drake may there and, and that's a, that might be the national title favorite. Uh, if you, you know, pulled Florida State's defense with Lovett over and put him on the North Carolina team, that's that's probably the national title favorite. Uh, you know, you've got some really good uh, arguments to make on either side there. And the thing that May gives you is he gives you uh, that wild card or he gives you that trump card to stick on the table in those situations to say, oh, game's on the line. You know, you need one play to win it. Well, here's the Drake May card I'm going to play. All right, see ya. <laughs> yeah, and that's what they've lacked. And, and Carolina's had that. Yeah, and the point of my question and the discussion here is Florida State, we're talking about them being possibly the best team in the ACC, and they're 6-3. and three. Carolina, I don't think anybody would say that, um, except, Jason, you're getting there, and they're 8-1, and 5-0 oh in the conference. Some of it's a difference in schedule. I mean, yeah, you, absolutely. You look, at, you look at the difference in schedule there, but, but the thing is you can only play the teams on your schedule, and you have to win those situations, and 
you know, Carolina has not played well in all their games. I mean, they, they had, they, they gave themselves some opportunities to lose games. And when it came down to it, they had the Drake may card to put on the table and go, Nope, we're not going to lose this one. <laughs> yep. And eight and one, five and oh, buck. It's been a while since we've talked about that, I guess 2015, but Carolina's in a good spot going to Wake Forest. Somebody said put Drake May on Tennessee. Tennessee ain't winning anything with that No, defense. Tennessee's not going to win it with Drake May. And, yeah, one uh, of the things we'll have to do, Tommy, on one of these uh, podcasts is uh, ch- check off all the things that this team has accomplished under Mac Brown that they hadn't in the past in terms of road wins, in terms of one-score games, beating in Virginia and Charlottesville. I mean, he – he has defied uh, – he has made Greg Barnes tear up his book of, uh, <laughs> of uh, how things have gone in the past and relying on that. So um, we, need to, we need to look at that at some point. We can do that uh, in December during the – when they're waiting for their bowl opponent or however that works out for sure. I'd love it. Tear up the book of expectations. And, and one Barnes. last thing, by the way, that whole discussion – sort of highlights why it's so difficult to be a championship level team, because it's all about having sufficient depth to be able to absorb the, the, the attrition that's going to happen during the season. And if you lose a top player, like again, like Florida state losing a key defensive tackle that changed them defensively, that may have cost them three losses. If you recruit just a little better and you have a defensive tackle behind him, that's ready to go then you don't get those three losses. That's the difference between, say, a Georgia and these other teams. That's where Carolina right now, they just lost two guys on the edge, and that changes their defense. The the question is going to be, are they going to be able – they've recruited well enough on the defensive line. Are they going to be able to to take that step forward with the guys that are behind those guys to be able to to absorb those different different things? So I think that's another thing to think about, about why it's so hard – to be a you know a one or a zero loss team you know year in year out. Yep, winning is hard, and I'm going to get us out of here because I see that our friends have shown up in the chat, and I'm not talking about the Georgia people. <laughs> talking or about Potter the, Stewart stuff. I'm talking about you. I got it before you saw it. I think uh, Sunday morning porn bots, life on the edge on YouTube live. Oh, good point, Vohasic and Fox as well. I mean, they've had a, a ton of attrition on the defensive line that came up in the chat. You know, it's really hard because guys get hurt in football. It's a physical game, and you've got to be able to absorb that, or you just got to get super lucky and not lose guys. Yeah, absolutely. And and winning is hard and right now. But I'll let you end it with what you said you were going to end it with. Eight and one. Hey, Eight they made one. me money. Nine games into the year, I've already won my bet with Bud, Bud, Bud Elliott on this. Remember, it was the, <laughs> uh, the, the seven and a half or, uh, wins, and I took the over. And, and, I'll take it. And, and people that took the over on the win shares for North Carolina – uh, they, they can start, uh, you know, in their, their wallet up a little bit, <laughs> making yep. plans for a Bahamas trip or something. Yep. There are no pictures on the scorecard. Carolina 8-1, 5-0 in the ACC. Going to Wake Forest for opportunity to clinch the Coastal. Three games left in the regular season. Buck Sanders, Jason Staples, it's always a pleasure, my friends. Shout out to Johnny T-Shirt, but also to the close to five bills of people that have been in here on a Sunday morning. We will be back all week at Inside Carolina with podcast content, YouTube content, and, of course, everything on the site and message boards. Thanks, guys.
Should you ever set foot outside of the motel, you will be shot. Don't miss the new Showtime limited series based on the international bestseller. For the last four years, I've been a prisoner. Why are they keeping you here? Starring Emmy Award winner Ewan McGregor. This is the brave new world that you dreamt of. Be very careful. You are still a prisoner here. Everything in this new world comes at cost. This is still my country. A Gentleman in Moscow. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. Only with the Paramount Plus with Showtime plan.